In our sermon series on Luke chapter 15, we have been exploring what these three parables of Jesus say to us of our Heavenly Father. And our focus has primarily been on the sheep, the coin, and the younger son. Each of these is very clearly lost. The sheep wanders away and the shepherd goes to find it. The coin falls and rolls into the dark and the lady, the woman, has to go searching for it, hunting high and low. The younger son rebels but is welcomed home by a father who is loving, patient, compassionate and forgiving. But the question arises, why did Jesus tell these in the first place? Who was he seeking to speak to? What prompted him to tell these three parables? And we read in verses 1 to 3 the answer. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There are two groups of people gathering to listen to Jesus. The sinners, the the bad people, and the religious leaders, the moral people. And it is the muttering of the religious leaders that prompts Jesus to tell these three parables. Now in the parable of the prodigal father, there are two sons. One bad and rebellious, one good and obedient. There are two groups of people listening to Jesus. There are two sons in the story. So quite clearly, the younger son is maybe a portrayal of those sinners and tax collectors. And so then, the older son is that portrayal of the religious leaders. The, one, the son who stays at home obedient. And in the telling of this parable then, Jesus is not only seeking to maybe call out to the, the sinners and tax collectors to come home to God, he's also seeking to speak into the lives of the Pharisees the religious leaders, and challenge their way of life as well. So what is Jesus saying to those religious leaders? Well, the three parables are all about how we are lost and can become found, how we can return home, how we can become reconciled to Father God. The sheep is found, the coin is recovered, the the younger son is welcomed home. So we can naturally conclude that Jesus is saying the elder son is lost as well and that there is a way for him to find his way home as well. So in what way is the older son lost? Well, when the elder brother hears there's a celebration going on at home for the return of the younger son, this is his response. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The elder son is furious, furious, at the Father for his display of grace and forgiveness and compassion to the younger son. But just like the younger son, the elder son disgraces the father as well. For he refuses to go in to what is perhaps the biggest feast and public event the father has ever held. 
The eldest son remains outside, a vote of no confidence in the father's actions, a refusal to condone such love and welcome. So that forces the father to go out to the elder son, and that in itself is a demeaning thing to do when you are the head of the family and host of a great feast. And in response, what does the elder son say? Look. We might say today, look you. Look. He doesn't call him esteemed father. He doesn't call him my dear father. It's just look. It's simply outrageous behavior in a culture where you give respect and deference to your elders. The elder son in mere minutes has disgraced his father three times. And in the disgracing of his father, we begin to see how the elder son is lost. For in the midst of his rant, he says these words. All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. The elder son has been seeking to earn his way into his father's good books. By slavish obedience, and rigid morality, the elder son has become lost. For sure, he toes the line with diligence and self-sacrifice, but it's done out of duty, not love. For sure, he stays in the same house as the father, but he is not at home. For sure, the elder son is within reach of the father, but he is distant in his heart. The elder son is lost, and he's lost because of his good works, not in spite of them. The elder son is lost because of his good works, not in spite of them. And so what Jesus seeks to convey here is that you can be like the younger son and you can rebel against God, you can rebel against Father God by breaking all the rules. Or you can become distant from Father God just as much by keeping all the rules diligently like the older son. This is the challenge of Jesus to the religious leaders. That by their rule keeping, they are just as lost as the sinners gathered around Jesus. One commentator put it this way. The main barrier between the Pharisees and God is not their blatant sins but their damnable good works. And sadly, in every generation, across all the millennia of human existence, we have thought we can earn God's approval, that we can earn salvation, that we can balance the scales and do enough to merit the Father's love, to merit access to the kingdom of heaven by our good deeds. But the teaching of the Christian faith, the teaching of Jesus and of the early church, challenges that very idea. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. In case you think it's a one-off occurrence, here are his words to the Galatians. We know we cannot become right with God by obeying the law. A man is made right with God by putting his trust in Jesus Christ. No man can be made right with God by obeying 
the law. And in case you think the early church somehow warped the teaching of Jesus, here's what Jesus said in another parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, said Jesus, that this man, rather than the other, went home right with God. In every generation of human existence, there have always been elder brothers, like the Pharisees, who have sought to be their own Savior and Lord, and who have been blind to that very reality in their lives. But the teaching of the Scriptures, the teaching of Jesus calls out to us, challenging that tendency within all our hearts, if we're honest, to think we can do enough, to think we can be our own Savior. Friends, on a day when Alan has stood here and confessed his faith in Jesus, on a day when we come to celebrate the meal that reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus, can I ask you, who is your Savior? On what grounds does the Father accept you? On what grounds are your sins forgiven? On what grounds will you get into heaven? If you think you don't need forgiveness, then that is a sign you are lost. If you think God will overlook your sin, then that is a sign you are lost. If you think the Father accepts you and will welcome you into the kingdom of heaven because you've tried to be good and you're not as bad as some people you know, even some people in church, then that too is a sign you are lost. But the good news of the Christian faith is both wonderfully liberating and frightfully challenging. You cannot be your own saviour. But Jesus died. He died on that cross, then rose again to save us all. And he is a saviour you can fully trust. In preparation for today, Alan and I worked through the open door material. We spent some time talking about this verse in John chapter 1. Yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become children of God through Jesus. You don't enter the family of God through good works or because you were born into a Christian family or because you come to church, or because you stood up front and became a member, all that doesn't earn anything, doesn't, isn't enough to pay for those sins. As Alan and I discussed, in light of this verse, you only enter God's family, you only come home when we believe in Jesus and receive Him. It's not enough just to have right thoughts, right beliefs about Jesus. Even the demons know who Jesus is. But when we act upon those beliefs, 
then we receive Jesus. To receive Jesus, we must acknowledge that we need God's forgiveness and that we trust in Jesus for that forgiveness by asking for it. It is by our mouths confessing that we are saved. And we must submit to him as King, as Lord of our lives. The good news of the Christian faith is wonderfully liberating and frightfully challenging. You can't be your own saviour. There's no shortcut. There's no back door into the family of God. It is only through Jesus. Yet wonderfully, he makes it so easy. You must simply ask for his forgiveness. And yet it is also so costly, for you must submit to him as Lord of your life. In the parable of the prodigal father, the younger son, the, the rebellious one, he comes home. He accepts the father's ways. But it is the elder son, the obedient one, who refuses to come in. He refuses to accept the father's ways. He refuses the way of grace and love and forgiveness. Friends, who will we be? Who are we? Are we younger sons and daughters, ready to acknowledge our need of forgiveness, to depend on the grace of God and come home by trusting in His means of salvation through Jesus? Or are we elder brothers and sisters, blind to our true condition and seeking to be our own Savior, refusing to bow the knee to Jesus and keep Him at a distance rather than receive Him? Who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? Is it yourself and your damnable good deeds, as one author put it? Or is it Jesus? Who is your Savior, my friends? I pray that it will be Jesus. So let's pray.